On this episode of the Bag World Show, we look at the challenges of integrating UI design into agile projects. This season of the podcast is sponsored by Balsamic and Full Story. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy, all of that good stuff. My name is Paul Boag and joining me on this week's show is Marcus Linton, but nobody really cares about that. <laughs> but more significantly, we have Paul Stanton on the show. Now, before Paul says a word, I think it's, it's, it's <laughs> important that we take a moment to realise the significance of this event. Because there'll be some people who've no clue who Paul Stanton is, well, other than him being internet famous, but they won't know him in the context of this podcast. But if you know who Paul Stanton is, then you are one of our longest standing listeners, because actually Paul and Ryan used to do the show sometimes, didn't you, Paul? We did. Hello. How are you? I'm very, very well. It's good to have you back. <laughs> so you reckon... Good to be you back. reckon you reckon it was like almost a decade since uh, you did that? I'm trying to think. If you want to round up, then yeah, we could probably call it a decade. But I think uh, it's going to be at least six years, mate. <gasps> I'm trying to amazing. remember when we went to the mill because you, you came to the mill for one of the Christmas do's, didn't you? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The, the, one of when your, was I that? Think we went, was the mill the big fancy manor house that you basically had the run of the place, and we all got very very drunk? No, no, that no, that was Plumber no. Manor, of which that, we. Oh, I mentioned the name, yeah, because I'm I, we're we're never allowed to go there again. I'm surprised Paul has ever got been allowed to go back again. Well, <laughs> I wasn't as disgraceful as the rest of you. Were. Neither was I. Paul went to bed early. Yeah, being old and all that sort of thing. But you know, I people, know. people kept misbehaving. Now that was Plumber, Ma- Plumber Manor. That was lovely. Now the other, the mill was where we did um, skittles, and everyone, oh, got, yes. and everyone got very, very drunk again. Very oh, I got, I got thing. very drunk that night. <laughs> I think that was probably seven years ago. That's my guess. Yeah, so when, I'd say you're about right there. So when did, we must have first met you on the hundredth Boag World. In person, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was the first time we came down to London. Um, I can't remember the name of the pub, but I just know it was in a... There's a common theme of just general alcohol here going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, met in a pub, did the live show. Um, then it might have been at one of the future of web app conferences where we kind of um, volunteered our assistance for the podcast in various roles. Yes, you, you. Yes, you're right. It was because I remember getting rude messages from you, Ryan um, Taylor, and Anna Debenham, because I was sitting in the speaker's corner, speaker's and you were corner. you were mocking me. <laughs> Come and talk to the plebs. Come and exactly. talk to a loyal audience and, and give us some time. And you did. To be fair, you, you uh, extracted yourself and came and had a chat. 
And it was very worthwhile because you became incredibly valuable to the show for a long, long time. You guys, you know, you were you were producing it and Anna was trans did some transcription and you were, you know. And then, of course, when me and Marcus couldn't be asked, you and <laughs> you and Ryan stepped in and did the job for yeah. us. Boag World North. I remember it. Yeah, well. I just remember the, the, the grief we got for the northern accents. Uh, and dare, dare I say it, Paul? You're not sounding yeah. so northern these days. Oh, and that could be that could be an insult to, that stabbed you in the heart. I'm sure, but uh, you're not. <laughs> or is it you just put, the, uh, it's my radio are we voice? Not, yeah, you're putting it on for me. Aren't you? That's what it is. <laughs> I think I think it's just that you're more used to it now. Because don't forget, Headscape has got as Chris, who's you know who was so northern when he first arrived, I couldn't understand him half the time. Yeah, he he he's softened a little. He's from the northeast, though, so slightly different. But yes, this uh, is true. Uh, but yes, I uh, <laughs> I had to the first time Chris was involved with an American client. I basically had to translate. <laughs> we, we had phone <laughs> calls, <laughs> and he'd say something, and I'd say, "Right, this is what Chris said." Da, 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 da. He's all right now. He's fine. Yes, we've softened his his uh, very thick. Uh, I want to say Geordie, but he's not from Newcastle, so that's probably wrong. But northeastern accent, yeah. So, uh, what are you doing these days? I mean, I've been obviously we we talk on Slack and various other places. But for the for the, our dear listeners' um, perspective, where where are you working? What you what kind of work are you doing? Tell us a bit about what's going on in your world. Sure. Okay. So I uh, work for a company called Jardu. We mm-hmm. sell uh, form software, content management, and uh, case management software. Uh, mainly to uh, local authority, central government, uh, higher education types of big, big organizations. And mm-hmm. what I do there, which um, like you do a lot of different things, but mainly user experience, user interface design. Um, ah. So we've got three main products uh, and a team of three people in a similar role to me. And we kind of look after our own individual products and collaborate and work on a team. And it's kind of a platform situation. Okay, so you've been there quite a long time now, haven't you? That that's been a few dozen years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to say that long, but mm-hmm. um, about six now. I think I think I've just ticked over into six years. So wow, quite a while in the grand scheme of things. And then before that, did you now where did you work? It was either higher education or government, wasn't it? One or the other. You were in house somewhere. That's right, University of Leeds. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Exciting. I, I mean, it sounds like from what I've seen of what you've posted and stuff, it looks like a good place to work. And, and well, it must be if you're there six years now. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, uh, I, it's definitely a, a job in a company that I, I really enjoy. The challenge is good. And it's I think if, if anyone gets comfortable in a place where you know that the work is interesting and you're able to add value and actually do good work um, without coming mm. on your own trumpet, but that's the kind of place that makes you want to stick around um so yeah i'm enjoying it so, so is it uh, is it quite a, a a kind of engineer developer led type of organization or do they start with user needs you know tell us a bit about how you work there okay so we um i'd say it could be a mix of either depending on where we are in the product life cycle and which product we're working on um so we work with we, we try and get as much user need in the early stages as possible. 
mm. um, and we've got quite a lot of customers uh, gathering requirements from them and then that goes into the, the kind of churn of figuring out which of those ideas from customers have merit, have value and that can either be built using the software's features out of the box with just general customization um, mm-hmm. or if a certain feature that has been requested has value for multiple customers and then we can put in either the, the effort ourselves to build that out or work with a customer to kind of do chargeable work. Okay, fair enough. So so do you guys, because the, the, what we're covering on this show, this is where I find out you're totally the wrong guest. Um, I presume you guys work in an agile way. Um, because that, yeah. Because otherwise, this is really not the show for you, is it? Because I mean, we're supposed to be talking about how to design a user interface in an agile world is what we're going to get into. So so uh, you're working on a series of sprints, one after another, et cetera, et cetera. Do you work in cross-disciplinary teams? Do you sit alongside developers and, you know, other key stakeholders? Yes. Yeah, so, um, for example, I'm currently working with our forms team. Um, okay. And I take responsibility for the, the user interface side of things. So working in an agile team and I work with um, developers, test engineers, um, and we go through that whole agile life cycle of identifying user stories that come up, breaking those down into uh, sprints, and then probably what we'll go into shortly, that, that process of figuring out where the design part of that fits in through that, mm-hmm. that sprint process. Yeah. So you're office-based one, presumes? Yeah, we're, we, we're remote office-based, if that makes sense. Our hey. UX team <laughs> is based in Leeds. Uh, there's three of us in this office. The main um, Jardu engineering ah. side of things is in Leicester. Um, so not too far away, but a good 100 miles. Um, yeah. And we have people in the States, people in uh, Australia, as well as some remote developers everywhere. So we're kind of uh, a mixture of both a general kind of traditional office-based company, but also with remote work experience. Wow, that's that's quite a tricky mix, having people all over the space, especially in Australia. Time zones must be a nightmare. It can be. I think Australia is not really on the developer engineering oh, okay. side. Um, okay. But yeah, most of that is in, still within the UK. Oh, well, at least that's something. That makes it a bit easier. It's not that big a time zone between you and Leicester, is there really, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, you and Down in Dorset. I mean, I, you know, that's a long way. So, you know, I couldn't work with you very easily because of time zones. It's amazing that we can t- even talk to one another, really, without there being... <laughs> lag on the line through the enormous distance that it is yeah just the language barrier yeah just the language barrier ah right okay so um as uh you may have gathered dear listener um we're talking about a user interface design in an agile world today it's the last in the season Mm. which feels it feels right that we have paul on for the last in the season um and uh so we're gonna um We're going to look into that as a subject. We're going to talk a little bit at the end of the show about what's coming up for the next season. Um, But before we do all that, I want to first of all talk just a little bit about uh, Balsamic, who have supported the entire season. Um, Now, I have to ask a question, and and 
Paul, if you answer this question wrong, you're going to make a liar out of me. Because right? <laughs> I, I was... I was I was joking with the guys at um, Balsamic about the fact that every single guest that has been on this season has used um, Balsamic at some point. Right. And then I realized that actually I still had one episode to record. So please tell me that you have used Balsamic in the past. Otherwise, you're going to make a liar out of me. Do you mean just on salads or, or something else? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> no, uh, yes, we absolutely use Balsonic. Um, it's kind of my favourite wireframing tool. Um, I'm not being paid to say this. Um, yeah, and working as a remote team, we use their mockups to go product. So that's the, the, the oh, yeah. cloud version. So we mm-hmm. can quite easily, quickly throw stuff together, send a link over Slack or whatever to the team in Leicester, and. Uh, work from there so yeah definitely cool actually actually uses it now paul that's even better he actually yeah (laughs) i I worded i've noticed i've worded it very carefully over the season just you know in case people didn't use it today but you know we've done we've had a hundred percent we've used this and um and actually uh, apparently they've become so addicted to hearing how everybody has used their product that they're going to support us with next season as well yeah which is great so uh, I, hopefully I get the 100% run from next season of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've used Balsamic. Otherwise, they might stop, and we wouldn't want that. No, it's, a great, it's an amazing product. Um, I almost don't need to say anything else, do I? Paul's kind of said it for me. Um, there are, uh, I want to say, th- do you know what I want to do is I just want to say thank you to them for their support of this season. They are an amazing group of people uh, with a real desire to kind of improve the digital design world and actually the way that this came about is they contacted me out of the blue and asked how they could help me right so it wasn't can we get some sponsorship for the show they just literally said what can we do to you know improve what you're doing because we think the stuff you're putting out there is awesome that doesn't happen very often um and actually they've they've got you know we've been talking about all kinds of other plans that that we are things we can potentially do um and the fact that every single guest on the season has used balsamic shows how quite embedded they are it's really is the perfect tool for creating low fidelity wireframes you're just not going to find better so give it a go you can get 30 days of their balsamic cloud platform which paul was talking about for 30 days no you can get 30 day trial for free um, and then uh, you can get three months for free if you decide to sign up using the code BALSAMICBOAG along with your billing information to create a free account. So there we go. That is Balsamic. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the season. It's much appreciated. Let's talk about Agile. Because I've... I... Right. Agile is a software development methodology, right? So you can 100% understand why a company like yours, Paul, adopts Agile. But I don't think it's, it doesn't always feel particularly and naturally a good fit with a kind of user interface design process. Is that, is that fair to say? What challenges have you kind of experienced from working on, you know, on Agile in an Agile kind of way? I think it is really fair to say, and I'm, I don't know if people wanted a contrarian view, but I, I do agree that sometimes it's really difficult um, to work on something like design, user interface design, in 
agile agile is brilliant for, for software development it makes once you kind of get to the the, the basics of it because you know, complex agile and you can have simple agile but even just the basics of it makes absolute sense for for anyone doing software development you break stuff down into a smaller chunk as they they can be um so you have big usually big features that you you're going to develop you break those down into the smallest pieces that can be you can figure out how much you can fit into a sprint which is just a period of time which can be like one or two weeks usually um and then after a few sprints your your team's got this rhythm that they know how many points which is just this arbitrary measurement how complex a a story is so something Mm. really simple like um a text change or a color change might be one point uh, and then you, the different different ways of assigning points there's Fibonacci scales or even t-shirt sizing like small medium and large what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, once your team's got this this knowledge of how many points it delivers usually in a sprint that makes the next chunks of work so much easier because you can then break the stories down say right that's going to be 10 points we know we can do that we've got space in the sprint to put it um but when it comes to the design side which is where i operate almost exclusively now i find it really hard to limit my own thought process to kind of sprintable work someone Mm. comes and says right we need to design something for this my brain doesn't work in right how can i make this as small as it can be at the start i've got to kind of follow that design process all the way through to the end to to design my solution and then break it down yeah so that doesn't really fit in a way like when you're starting a new sprint you have your sprint planning meeting i don't know how long something's going to take for me to design because i've not seen the problem yet Mm. um which is more i think that issue is more common in design than it is with development where you're working a lot with kind of known knowns if that makes any sense yeah um yeah so i my brain doesn't work immediately in an agile way i've got to kind of design solve the problem and then break it down i was hoping you were (laughs) going to come up come up with a a, the perfect answer for me paul because we we kind of struggled over the years with should be doing more agile development but we do a lot of design work which tends as we're discussing now just does uh, it, it it feels like with the, the agile process you you don't get enough time um to to spend on on the design aspects so we tend to do that in more of a waterfall way whereas there are some aspects of projects that we do in an we'd like to do in an agile way but we can never organize the time between both so i was hoping you'd come up with a great response maybe you will <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost though your designers need to kind of run ahead and and scout the yeah. problems out so you if you you've got a a specific feature you're going to work on say two or three sprints down the line your design team needs to be working on that in advance mm. Mm. because the, the biggest kind of challenge we've had in the past that we, we don't do it as much now but is the your product owner who that's the, the kind of role within an agile company that the role that decides what's going to be worked on and when the product owner having the estimation done purely on engineering effort and then coming right well we need a ui for this and we can do this this and this and you end up designing so like a really good solution but the engineering part of it is lesser sometimes so Mm. they kind of blocked out so many story points for it 
and you've kind of told me, oh no, it's going to be more expensive. We need more, more. <laughs> I've designed something a bit fancier than you envision. Yeah. So that you end up, they end up having to use more points than they'd anticipated because you hadn't been able to fully flesh out the idea yet. And I mean, in markets, to make things even worse, in some ways, Paul's in a better position than you guys are. Mm. Because Paul is working on an established product that has its overall visual identity already in place. Mm. Um, you know, well, every time you start on a project, you're starting from pretty much ground zero, where there's there's no design done up front. Yeah. So it, effectively, what I think Paul was saying there was, it, you you kind of you've got to separate. So designers work on their design stuff, preferably in front of the engineers, and and they're separated. But the, I always mm. thought the idea behind Agile is that everybody works together, yeah, you know, all, all minds together. So I'm, yeah, I'm still none the wiser, really. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're enti- you're entirely right. I mean, one of the, the the idea of Agile is that you do work collaboratively across mm. disciplines, and actually, that's one of the things I like most about Agile. From our from a m- more, you know, if I'm wearing my kind of digital transformation mm. slash you know organizational governance perspective you want a designer and developer to be working side by side on a project but it is tricky it's tricky to get that balance i mean effectively what it sounds like paul is describing correct me if i'm wrong paul but you're talking about almost like a sprint zero is is that the way that you're looking at things um kind of i mean sprint zero is usually a way of saying before a project kicks off mm. you have a set amount of time where you set up infrastructure you do some of the, the getting the team ready for actually starting work whereas i mean i work on long-term projects i've been working on the same product for, for months not years on end mm. um, so I, I appreciate some of your listeners will be working and maybe yourselves are working on a project that runs for a few months and then you're on to the next project where yeah yeah where i work on like a soft a software platform we do the same thing but for features where we mm. work on a big feature and we just released a brand new version of our form builder which very very complex engineering thing and so sprint zero wouldn't work we wouldn't be able to do all that big design like at the start of a project because one of the things about agile is you're constantly iterating and changing it's almost as if for each feature you've got to do a mini sprint zero for each feature and mm. i say you're, you the way we work and i'm not saying this is the solution or that everybody should do this but the way we work is our or like myself will almost run ahead we get chats with the um the engineers that are going to be working on the feature try and get an early sense of what required from a development standpoint, uh, speaking to users, getting an idea of what they expect of the feature, and then designing the vision almost, not a set document because it's going to change. Um, just, <laughs> if you went to your design so early on, you're going to have problems. Um, but basically to set the, the initial expectation of from a user interface standpoint, this is what we expect the finished product to kind of be like. Mm. then you take that into the sprint planning, you break it down, see what's achievable in how many sprints. Um, and then that at that point, like we were saying earlier, Marcus, that we would work with side-by-side with developers and engineers to, mm. to um, do our part if there's any new 
design components that need building out, we would, we would take care of that. Um, and hopefully, and in, in an ideal world, we kind of shepherd our vision through the development process and make sure it comes out the other side intact, which doesn't always work, things change. Um, but that's the, the utopian ideal of the, <laughs> the way that we do it anyway. And you'd go into... So, no, go on, Marcus. I was saying, you'd, you'd go into that phase of the project with a kind of toolkit of design stuff that you can apply. Um, so things you've already kind of... You've, you've already done design work to give you a library of things you can work from. Is that the way it works? Yeah, so we have that, that real benefit of working on a single product platform. So mm. we have our own design system called Pulsar which mm-hmm. sets all the consistent user interface elements, um, the templating languages, so we can really quickly put together even static interfaces. Um, whereas we're not working on different products every time, and we're not having to start from scratch like maybe maybe yourselves are. So mm-hmm. a lot of that work done, um, and there's a real benefit that comes out of that for working with developers because they they understand that common language and that visual framework so that we can scribble something on a piece of paper or using Balsamic and they know now which components they need from our design system that -hmm. can achieve that and then our focus comes on the new stuff that we need to build out okay so it's so so your starting point when you talk about you kind of run ahead and you you put together a, a rough vision um, but recognizing it will change. That's where you're doing a little bit of wireframing or prototyping, you know, either in pen and paper or balsamic or something along those lines. Is that so? Is that what you mean by delivering a bit upfront? What's the what's the deliverable of that? I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, it's different every time, but for most cases, we sketch out the the user journeys. Ah, okay. So, I mean, we're working on software, so it's usually a user has come to achieve something or to perform a task. Yeah. So where we do step-by-step screenshots, not in any massive fidelity, but just, right, this is the the first view, and then they click on this button and go here, and then might... And that's where kind of we need to think in advance, is to think through all those different variations on a journey, right? What happens when they try and delete something? What messages do they get? what happens if something goes wrong, what error messages are shown, and we have to kind of figure all that out. Mm. As much as we can in advance, but things come up uh, during development and then we have to kind of think on our feet and go back and iterate and come up with new solutions if we didn't get it quite right the first time. Um, so that's why we don't work in any kind of really high fidelity. It's, it's all throwaway. Mm. Um, yeah. and, until we get to the point where it's not throwaway anymore and you're actually changing the final interface. So, I mean, a, a silly question maybe, but is there any value to Agile from, from your point of view as a designer or are you just doing it to kind of accommodate the, the development team? I, th- I think it is really valuable. I mean, you're working alongside your developers and your testers and working within an agile way you've got this the shared vocabulary of mm. you, you know what uh, a user story is or what a feature is um, and how it's broken down and that's just the same as design work as it is for development work and, and all right 
my designer brain, I'm not going to generalize and assume everyone's the same way, but my designer brain, I I have to think through a problem, but then the point is that I can chop it up and design and try and think, right, what needs to happen first? What's going to, I have designed this really complex (laughs) interaction that's going to need more engineering effort than others. Um, So you, you, it puts everybody in a similar mindset and you know how to, how you're going to work going forward, really. Mm. So yeah, it is, it is valuable. And just in generally the, the agile way of working, anyone else, but I use it outside of work. If that sounds too geeky, but if I've got a load of stuff to do, like, um, around the house, the, the really simple agile way of working like Kanban, which is your, your list of things to do, which is your backlog and your list of things you're doing, which should be as short as possible. And your list of things you've done and you can achieve so much in a week. And if like you've got three or four weeks off work and you've got all these jobs to do, you kind of know you, that's a big job and that's a small job. And right. I've got a hour for lunch. I can probably do a small one, small job, not a big job. And I use those strategies and not just in a normal way of working as well. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously agile is a lot more than just those kind of, sprint blocks as well i mean are there other aspects of agile that work particularly well for you as a designer there's the general organization part of it um so you have morning stand-ups where you can get a sense mm. of what everyone in the team is going to be doing on that day or what they did yesterday which is good especially as a remote team member we dial in with uh, video conferencing software um so you you're aware of what team's working on. They're all working on non-design stuff generally, and even knowing what the test engineers are going to test, you're aware that they're going to test something that you worked on. So you can kind of be aware of, right, if issues come up, I can keep my eye on my ticketing system or whatever we use for that. And then there's the retrospectives, which happen at the end of um, either a sprint or a series of sprints where you can feed back to the rest of the team anything struggled with uh getting awareness of the work coming up which goes back to how i said that we work which i'm running in advance mm. so we can identify anything that needs our attention and speak to the team while we're all in the same room whether virtually or not yeah i mean i i i often think uh, there are there are many aspects to agile that we you know whenever you think about agile whenever you present agile to external people they always you know you always think about those sprints but actually there's so many different aspects little bits within that kind of agile working methodology that is is beneficial even if you don't do the sprints you know things like a daily stand-up is a great example of that things like having a more collaborative approach in the way that you work you know these are all good valuable things anyway yeah, I think anyone who's done done Agile for a while, especially within a company like that or a slightly larger company, probably knows and will probably nod and say you tend to find your own way of doing Agile. Mm. Um, and we we had a large project uh, a few years back where we kind of went, changed the whole company to work in this way and uh, we all went off and got Scrum Master certification, which I'm not certified anymore, so I'm on my scrum master now um 
and is that is that like being an unlicensed dentist you really want to you really want to avoid them yeah hang around on uh, in shady spots and back alleys and do organized scrums for for people and stuff like that it's uh being any i've found any company kind of finds their own way and picks the the best bits mm. of it and the things that work for them and not really the never seen a company that does it as rigid as you can learn it that makes sense yeah Mm. yeah yeah it's like anything isn't it that you need to be pragmatic about it and you need to adapt it for your own situation talking of which you know i i've kind of taken because of course a lot of the projects that i'm involved with are you know big redesigns of a of an existing website um and uh, oftentimes kind of the traditional agile process i don't even know if i can call this what i'm about to say agile or not but the the traditional agile process basically um as you you've been talking about takes a a kind of slice of functionality um within a site um you know we're going to introduce a you know a new way of a checkout new checkout process or a new um, order delivery page or whatever else so you take vertical slices in the experience where you then you know you do design on that part of the the experience you do the development etc the content on all those things now that works very well when you're you're looking at a product like you're describing where it's a well-established product product but if you're doing something that's a redesign from scratch um uh then i don't think that fits as well um for all the reasons that we've just said so one of the things that i've been playing with which um seems to work really well is instead of taking kind of uh vertical slices out of a site is instead to work in terms of fidelity so um you know you will actually do a series of sprints and instead of saying in this sprint we're going to deliver this feature this feature this feature you say i'm in this sprint we're going to deliver across the entire site to a certain level of fidelity so it might be in your first sprint all you're doing is establishing the information architecture for the entire site right in the second sprint you might be adding some typography and some design and a few questions um you know uh, in the third sprint you might start adding a little bit of layout and kind of divide it in that kind of way so you're you're doing you're working um kind of uh, horizontally across the entire thing in increasing fidelity uh, is that uh, some uh, am i the only person in the world that does that i don't know is that something you've ever heard of before or have you encountered you know tried anything like that um i can't say that's particular well, it's definitely <laughs> not how we work um yeah I've seen, i mean there's the, that classic image isn't there where you've got the, um, the skateboard at the start that they're more yeah bicycle and a motorbike and the, i know that's a contentious image people will argue that that's not how things work um but it's possibly a, depending on the project you're working on that could be a valid way of doing it uh, i mean that's certainly uh, uh, marcus going back to kind of the agency mm. side of things that kind of works a little bit better doesn't it because you're delivering um you know entire websites from beginning to end Absolutely, and of course yeah. what well, that means you've got something after every sprint to show a client and engage the client with and something tangible to test at every single step along the way, which I quite like as well. Yeah, I, that does sound like a good way of working. I think it's 
It's bit my my problem. I'm only going to repeat myself here. Is that because we, we we're working on multiple projects all at the same time to get mm. everyone working on the same thing for a sprint of however long that might be is really hard to organise because obviously some people will be free more quickly to do something else than the other person might be. But I mean, we do approach our projects in a kind of you know let's get let's work on the IA and we'll be working on the aesthetics you know all of those kind of things separately but to do it in a sprint kind of way we just haven't found a way that we can manage but I do love the well, idea of everyone sitting around the table doing it together we do that with we, we will do that at the end of projects we'll get clients in for kind of like you know um final snagging and all that kind of thing we find that doing that in a kind of mini sprint works once there's everything in place um, but the early stages we struggle with. No, but, but I struggle with that a little bit. You, you, you describing that situation because I never understood. You know, I look at agencies that that do work in an agile way, and they simply just take on one client at a time. Mm. You know, and and they move, obviously they move through those clients much much faster because they've got the entire team concentrating on the thing at the same time. Why doesn't that work in practice from your point of view? Well, yeah, because I'm not sure that works that well for them either because clients may not be able to work at the same speed that you can. Yeah. But that's a huge issue with um, finishing projects is because is they, you know, the people who've hired you, they've got another job. They've got another set of jobs that they're doing. So mm. to, get, to get them round the table for a month or whatever would be impossible. I mean, yeah. Impossible is too strong. But yeah, how do you work with your clients? Do do you kind of embed them into your team? As do you kind of bring them on board with the the agile journey, or do you? Do they... We don't. We don't work in an agile way. That's what I'm basically right. saying. Well, we, we certainly take on aspects of it, as Paul mentioned. But it just the the idea of working solely on one thing for a week or two weeks, we haven't been able. It, it just doesn't work from a management point point of view or managing our people point of view. Maybe it could do. Maybe I'm just being lazy. Um, but it just seems that, as I said, that for us to be able to deliver on multiple projects, because we're, you know, we've probably got, I don't know, we're probably supporting 20 or 30 existing sites that things will just pop up out of nowhere. And, you know, and that's probably sometimes a few hours work. So how do you fit mm. that in? I'm, I'm going off in various tangents here, obviously, but no, that's, no, no, yeah, that's that's you know how do you fit that into a into a kind of strict agile regime if you like? You can't. I guess you'd have to have like right now we're gonna it, maybe for a week a month we're just gonna do support, but that's not quick enough for some clients. Um, or you it, have a separate person or people dedicated to those little yeah, things as they pop up, and we're not big enough to do that. I think that's part of no. the problem. Um, mm. We have sort of eight full time people. Uh, we have to be able to kind of flit from one mm. thing to the other uh, for it to work effectively. Um, but I know it, the reason why I'm saying this, um, I know, uh, you know, why I'm saying it would be great if we could find a way to maybe work in a more agile way is because I know that some of the guys would really like us to do that. Mm. So, you know, mm. uh, that's why I'm kind of, uh, you know, asking these questions. The point about the client, I think, is a really good one as well um, because you are right, a lot of the clients that, um you encounter are juggling 28 different things all at once um and that is it for me one of the fundamental um problems that i see with agile 
And by the way, I'm coming across as a bit negative about Agile, which I'm not at all. I'm actually very positive. I think it's great. One of the challenges that I see around it is that you get you get an IT department somewhere within an organization that says, we're going to go Agile. Um, and they work in Agile, but none of the other departments around them does. And it's the same... It's the same story when your agency works in Agile and the client can't internally within their organization. And what you end up with is this this kind of Agile waterfall hybrid where, you know, the client is acting, behaving in a waterfall way. You as a a development agency are Agile and it, it all just gets a bit messy as these kind of cultures bang into one another. Um, and I think you're right, Marcus. I think you, ultimately you've got to put the client's needs first. And if it's not a natural fit for them, it doesn't make sense to work in that way. Yeah, I maybe. also think I think it's yeah. I mean, some some for some it'll be brilliant, for others less so. Um, but I also think it's as you said, we tend to work on big redesign projects where you're starting mm. from scratch, and I don't think they fit as well as we've got this thing and we want to change a part of it. Um, that seems to fit a lot better in the agile way of working as opposed to that we're starting from scratch you know where where we where do we take this thing so yeah i think that's part of the problem uh, from a, a kind of i i fully recognize that agile works absolutely brilliantly from a developer point of view it makes a lot of sense totally get it do you think paul from your point of view how can we as designers kind of support developers better in their desire to work in an agile way does that make sense yeah um support them um by by the very nature if once you're working in this way and you're able to even if you're doing bigger designs or setting these visions out having that ability to then be pragmatic and break it down into achievable chunks is is gonna be the key because um, mm. the developers they will want to work within the sprints and your product owner wants to, to keep the, the pace and the velocity going and deliver things uh, sprint on sprint and and it's this is really hard but seeing your own kind of solution to a design get boiled down into the minimum viable product like yeah. this trap of version 1 which kind of we've coined it because the the first thing that is going to have to be delivered is that basic subset of features. Mm. And then it's not falling into the trap of only ever delivering that basic set of features because you, you've mm. set mm-hmm. the design, you've set the vision. And that, I think this is probably a cultural thing and where, you, where design fits in your organization and how much importance it's given is to, to make sure that the feature is delivered eventually over however many sprints it takes to the, the original vision so long as that still fits um, and we, we've done it as much as we can and sometimes we've not been able to do it and that that's really hard but mm. that comes with the kind of mutual respect I guess between if, if the design team is separate from your development team having the shared vision and everyone being on board with it and then working towards it yeah, because that is the danger, isn't it? Is that you 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 kind of compromise the, the the problem with minimal viable products and 
again, I'm a great fan and I think they should be, you know, that should be the way that we operate is minimal viable products only work if you do return to stuff and you don't go, oh, well, that's good enough. Let's move on to the next thing. Um, and that, yeah, that's a challenging one. And MVP totally is that. almost never the right thing for the user. In, in no. And no. It depends on who, who you're building this thing for. Is it to keep your user happy or to, and this is a whole other conversation, but to keep, to keep your kind of development team and the, the engineering costs as low as possible, or are mm. you kind of doing the best thing for the user? I mean, in theory, an MVP should work in the sense that it's not making presumptions about what the user wants. You're putting stuff in front of them and seeing how they respond, but that requires a very good working relationship and a very close working relationship between the audience you're trying to reach and the organization producing it in order to get that feedback loop happening where they're that you know the users know that they're looking at an mvp um and they can express their their shortcomings and know those shortcomings are going to be addressed the problem is is often people deliver an mvp and then you know every the users come back and say well i don't like this this and this and nothing's ever done about it (laughs) Yeah, you, so, you need a very good product owner to kind of protect the vision of the product going forward and and to know mm. what ultimately needs to be delivered and maintain that relationship with the client so that the client doesn't think, well, you delivered that stuff like weeks ago. Why are we doing it again? Yeah. To explain, yeah. Well, we are making it better. Well, do I have to pay for that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I totally get it. All right. Well, um, there's a little bit about Agile and some of the challenges around it. Um, you know, I think the lesson that I would try and leave people with um, in terms of all of that is feel free to pick and choose what you use and what you don't out of Agile. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are very opinionated about the way that it should be done um, because they found success in doing it that way themselves. But every organization and every situation is different and you need to come up with the way that's best for you. Let's talk about our second sponsor um, before we wrap up uh, this week's show. Again, they've supported us through the whole season, and I'm hugely grateful to them for that. Um, that's Full Story, uh, which, in my opinion, is is simply the best session recorder out there, and the one that I use personally on my own site. And I I, I have honestly learned so much. Um, uh, from using full story on my own site so for example um i've been using full story very recently uh and as a result of what i have learned through looking at the session recorders running them um analyzing the results etc i've managed to reduce the bounce rate on my blog by over five percent which i'm really really happy with because blogs inevitably have a very high bounce rate because people come in read one article and then go on but by looking at their behavior of how they moved around the site um uh you know on, on how they scroll down a page all those kinds of things i was able to discover where to place uh certain calls to action that move them on and so i'm i'm really chuffed with using it personally um and i'm sure you will be too um it's so easy to use an incredibly powerful search um and if you're like me, you're a, you, I'm a very visual person. I struggle with analytics platforms um, and I struggle to find what it is I want to know and to be able to visualize what I'm looking at. 
So something like a session recorder where I can just type in what I want to know. Um, it returns a load of uh, sessions back to me. I can watch those sessions. I can look at heat maps, etc. It's just, it's just, it's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So anyway, you can sign up today and get a month of their free account for uh, their, sorry, their pro account for free. Uh, no need to enter a credit card or anything like that. If you get to the end of your free month um, and you think yeah, it's good, but I probably can't justify paying for it across the whole site, then you can continue to use it for free. Um, up to a thousand sessions per month, which is obviously um, still really useful for for looking um, and analysing certain pages. Although, obviously, pay for the pro version because otherwise, full story, go out of business, and that would be bad. Don't just use the free program, kids. Um, you can find out more about all of that by going to fullstory dot com forward slash boag um, and sign up there. All right. Um, as always, I want to leave you with a bit of further reading to check out on all of this kind of stuff. Um, really, the further reading for this week isn't exclusive to Agile, but it's kind of further reading on the season as a whole. Um, the, oh, that said, mine, the first one does kind of touch um, a little bit on what we've been talking about. You remember I was talking about that that um, UI uh, user experience focused approach to Agile where you take it in in fidelity. Mm -hmm. That's something I've written about before um, and you can read about that by going to boag.world forward slash UI design. Um, The other thing that I wanted to share with you on a more kind of generic sense of, of user experience design or user interface design which we've been talking about over the whole season there's one article i wrote a while back that that um kind of is a really useful resources which are 10 principles i've learned about user interface design um that have been learned through painful mistakes and you could check that one out by going to boag.world forward slash pain and then also i wanted to end by recommending a book um, a really, really good book called The Universal Principles of Design, um, which is just this kind of big um, ass kind of book that you can flip through um, that includes all of the different principles that we use from things like scarcity to, um, you know, structure to, you know, the uncertainty principle, all these kinds of, you know, blooming hundreds of them there are. Um, and they, they're all explained and you can see how you can apply them to your site. So if that book sounds interesting, go to universalprinciplesofdesign.com. All right, so that about wraps us up for this season, actually. What is the last joke for the season, Marcus? I'm sorry, Paul, we're still doing jokes all these years <laughs> later. Surprised well, still got any left to tell. <laughs> yes, please send me some more, people. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd finish the season off with a limerick from Chris Ooh. Florence. Okay. There yeah. once was a man from Japan whose limericks never would scan. When he was asked why, he gave a thoughtful reply. Well, I tried to fit as many syllables in the last line as I possibly can. <laughs> there we go. That's real, real, real <laughs> quality. No, 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 no. Of course not. No. It would be um, wrong to do good jokes. So if you want to see all of the jokes Marcus has rejected, you can see them by going to boagworld.com forward slash slacking. Join our Slack channel. And there is a channel dedicated to bad jokes. Um, so there are there are some in there that really are just too good for the podcast um, and so have been rejected. But it's, st- it's still worth quite a giggle. Oh, and we also talk about UX and stuff. 
Um, but that isn't why anybody really goes. So, Paul, where can people find out a little bit more about you and uh, what you're up to? And also, obviously, the company you work for. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter mainly. Um, Stanton on Twitter. Um, I'd say the next best place to find us would be um, my, the, the product team, product design team here have a Medium blog. Um, oh, cool. So medium.com slash pulsar, which we are trying to write more on. So if, if more people start reading, then that will <laughs> spur us to write more more things. So what – sorry, I didn't quite catch what that URL was. Medium.com forward slash – Pulsar, P-U-L-S-A-R. P- Excellent, thank you. Oh, it's your ah, this your um, pattern library thingy is called Pulsar, isn't it? It That's is. It. Yeah. So we we're trying to write about more about design systems and more recently some of the problems that we have solved in terms of how we design, well, how and why we design certain things for, mm. for what is effectively enterprise level software. Cool. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Actually, yeah. Get your ass into gear. Write more. And, of course, Jadu.net, which is the, the company I work for. Yes. Wonderful. Um, okay. So that is it for this season. We're going to be taking a break for a little bit because we don't have Paul and Ryan to fill in <laughs> when we get lazy now. Um, so so we're going to take a break for a, a few weeks. We're going to kick off the new season on the 10th of May. So, God, that's over a month. That's outrageous. Uh, long time to to take a break in the next season we're going to be looking at building the ux culture in your organization so we're going to what we're going to be doing is we're going to be interviewing um a load of different people from lots of different industries and backgrounds who are attempting to to build a ux culture in their organization so it's going to range from some companies that have got quite a way to go and are facing a bit of an uphill battle all the way through to, um, for example, I think we're probably going to have somebody from Uber on talking about, you know, who obviously are a very user-centric culture and that's built into their their kind of DNA. So we've got loads of different guests from loads of different um, sectors. Uh, we've got somebody from Virgin Atlantic coming on, but equally we've got people from the higher education sector, you know, enterprise, B2B, you name it. And actually I'll probably be asking almost the same questions every week um but i think the difference in cultures and environments that they're in could lead to a really good season and best of all i only need to prepare the questions once which is good yes excellent organizational skills there paul i i thought so i was impressed by that cunning plan so i think it's going to be a good one i'm looking forward to it so that kicks off on the 10th of may um, but until then, thank you very much, Paul, for joining us on the last show of the season. Um, oh, a pleasure as always. You're welcome any time. Um, and um, I suppose thank you as well, Marcus, for oh. sticking with me. Very kind of you, Paul. It's been a pleasure as always. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever thanked you for being on the show. No, I think you have once. Have I? Yeah, in, in, in 500 episodes. Or whatever yeah, it is, it, 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 I right. think it could well be five hundred episodes now. I say this. Oh, I mean, it's it's well over that now. I don't know. I need to do some maths. I just think it is. I'll be saying it's a thousand in a couple of seasons' time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had over three hundred of the original, didn't we? Before Not quite we then that. Took... Two two hundred and forty, I think it was, uh, and then ah, yeah. and then but then twenty uh, seasons since. 
Yeah. No, I've actually, I've got the actual figure in front of me here. We're not hit the 500 yet. It's mm. 459 Wowza. episodes. That's but a ironically, lot. Uh, it is a lot, isn't it? But yeah. ironically, the other podcast that, that I do, the Digital Insights one, which is just my blog posts, 532 of those. Yeah, but they're only they weenie. Shorter. Little tiny I ones. Know. It's quality, not quantity, Marcus. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's why we've done fewer of the Barragold ones. Ah, cunning. I like like your logic. Now, I I do think you need thanking simply because the show was so shit before you joined it. So, you know, I can't argue with that, can I, really? For those two episodes, yeah. Was it only two? No, it was a bit more than that, wasn't it? I can't. Two or three. Okay. You said Anyway, all right. This is painful. Why am I doing this? There we go. So that's uh, that's a really rambling, boring, silly end to the season, isn't it, really? We're kind of just petering off at this point. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, my God.